Hello and welcome to the podcast, English for Life in the UK. This podcast was set up to help people to improve their English and at the same time learn more about life in this country. In this season of the podcast, we have been interviewing a number of people who have interesting jobs or experiences. Today, one of our team, Christine, has been interviewing an artist called Kate Lysett. As she is a visual artist, it would obviously be helpful for you to see her work. So to do so, you can either look at the transcript for this episode, which will be available on our website in a few days' time, and where we will include some pictures to show you Kate's work. Or you can go to Kate's own website. That is katelysett.co.uk and her name is spelt K-A-T-E-L-Y-C-E-T-T. The podcast is produced by a group of volunteers from the St Augustine Centre, a charity based in Halifax, Yorkshire, where we support, in particular, asylum seekers, refugees and migrants. You can find out more about our work and how to get the transcript, which also includes footnotes on the more difficult vocabulary and phrases, by listening to the end of this episode. Meanwhile, here is Christine and her interview with Kate, which we hope you will find useful and interesting. I'm very pleased to say that today, uh, Kate Lysett, uh, an artist uh, from Calderdale, has agreed to be interviewed. Um, so, Kate, would you start, please, by introducing yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself and perhaps about your work. Um, I am a landscape painter, primarily. I paint, I paint a lot of local places. I use inks and watercolours and acrylics and my work is very luminous and you can usually recognise it by it always has gold threads and gold leaf in it which um, kind of adds a certain something and, and makes you know that it's mine. It does add a certain something doesn't it Kate? It's so beautiful your paintings. I thought of interviewing you immediately when we talked about interviewing an artist because I like your work so much. Thank you. Tell us how you started as an artist. I started um, ever since I was little. Typical story, but I've always known what I wanted to do right from about the age of five. Uh -huh. I knew that I wanted a studio before I knew what a studio was. <laughs> and my granddad was an architect, so he taught me technical drawing when I was really quite small. Um, I've always been interested in kind of buildings and landscapes because of him 
And then after school, I went to art college. And from art college, I specialised in textile design for a long time. And the lovely thing about textile design is it's an area of art where you are just allowed to create beautiful things ah. rather than fine art courses where you might be encouraged to, I don't know, have a message or be angsty. Um, and, and that's not me. I'm, I'm a rose-tinted spectacles kind of girl. My glass is definitely half full and, and I see the world in a very beautiful way. So um, edgy art is not for me. So from textile design... Um, I stayed in Yorkshire to work in the textile industry and the textile industry gradually fell away, went abroad, all the mills closed and I started selling my work in markets and local galleries um, and then had, had a family and so I gave up the sensible job, took a risk, gave up the sensible job of um, corporate textile design which wasn't very interesting um, and yeah, paint landscapes for a living. Very good. And you now have your studio. I do. As you've always wanted to have. <laughs> I have an epic studio that I can't fill. It's wonderful. Well done. Well done. Would you tell us how you go about creating a picture? I mean, I've only seen the, the, final, uh, the final result. I'd love to know how you create that. Well, over the years, I've worked out that I paint places much better the better I know them. And it's to do with um, the feeling of a place, the light, the heat, the way it smells, the way the wind might blow over certain hills. So I can't ever paint a, a good landscape just from a photograph. It doesn't work for me. I, I, have, to, I have to know what it feels mm. like to be in a place. Um, so I tend to kind of it's kind of familiarity so it's partly very quick drawings when I'm out I've always got a tiny little sketchbook in my pocket um, I have it in my running pack I have it when I'm out walking with the kids and literally sometimes I have like one or two minutes to just note something down sometimes if I'm organized I have longer to kind of sit and draw properly and then I take photographs but in a way I'm photographing that's backup the mm -hmm. main idea happens in a sketchbook um, and then the photograph is just all the extra bits that you might not have managed to note down. Um, and I'll take a note on things like, you know, which direction the sunshine was coming from and how cold it was and certain colours that I want to remember, even if I'm just working in a pencil. So I, I'll mm -hmm. just scribble all those down in the sketchbook. And then I might come back and work them up into grander sketches and then when I work... The painting up I work on watercolor paper and I work very loosely in layers of kind of inks and watered down acrylics um, and I tend to work um, starting off with quite dark colors and then building layers up so they um, colors glow beneath colors so it's almost like a kind of an enamel effect there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of richness there mm -hmm. And there's an awful lot of happy accidents and I don't really know how things are going to end up until they're finished. So you don't start with a plan? You start with a... I start with a plan of the composition so I know what's going to go where. Mm -hmm. um, but what I don't know, usually, is the colour and the feeling. Um, that just happens on the page. 
and sometimes I might start a picture thinking it's going to go one way, but the picture has its own idea and it goes another. Ah, very interesting, very interesting. Hi, so what are you working on at the moment, Kate? I'm currently working on an exhibition, it's called Whispering Ruins, and it's um, a gallery in Ripley near Harrogate, and it's an exhibition all about uh, North Yorkshire ruins, and it's been, it's been nice because they all have different atmospheres. Just capturing the different atmospheres of the different places has been really, really nice. And that exhibition starts on June the 18th. So I have, yeah, I've currently got four paintings on the go, drying on the mm. floor of the studio at home, uh -huh. which is why I'm hiding in the mill today doing prints. Uh-huh. So is that quite a rush then to get everything done? Is there pressure at these times? Yes, but sometimes I need a bit of pressure, <laughs> I think. I need, I need a deadline. Um, and, yeah. and do you frame the work yourself or do you? Um, there's a local company, he does all my framing for me, so I will have a batch ready and then I will go to my local printer and we will proof the colours to do the prints and then they will go to the local framer and he will frame them all and he'll deliver them to the gallery for me. But it's nice that the gallery owner is an old friend and um, so I have a lovely working relationship with them. I only work with nice galleries. <laughs> Very nice. And do you exhibit the original paintings or the prints? Oh, I exhibit the original paintings and we sell the prints, prints at the exhibition. But the original paintings are always bigger than the prints. Uh -huh. So I don't need many. And it's quite a small gallery as well. So I'll, there'll be uh, 10 or 11 original paintings at the exhibition. Which, you know, it's a, it is a lot of work because I don't paint quickly. And when I say I've got four on the go, I, I tend to work on them. I work on them all at once because... Mm -hmm. You, you've got drying time with one and then you can work on with another and if something isn't going well in one painting then you can put it to one side and then come back to it later. That makes sense yeah. and I suppose if you're building up in layers you have to wait for one layer to dry yes. before you can do the next. Yes. Thank you. What would you say you enjoy most about your life as an artist? I love the fact that I'm allowed to go out onto the moors with a flask and a notebook and nobody else, and call it work. <laughs> and have days out going to, you know, the most beautiful places. And what would you say you enjoy least? Or are other aspects of your work that you don't enjoy, that you just have to There do? aren't now, because I'm very lucky. My husband, um, he now works with me to develop the business. So all the bits of, of the business that I was... Uh, less keen on are not terribly good at, so invoicing, accounts, website stuff. Um, that's absolutely his bag and really not mine, so I have more time to paint. And he does all the technical things that, oh. um, yeah, that I used to resent. And do you think art is important in life? I wonder if you get asked that question. In some ways, it feels quite hard to justify, doesn't it? Because people like, you know, I have one sister who is a headmistress and I have mm -hmm. one sister who's a midwife mm -hmm. and my dad was a teacher. So in a way, my profession feels really decadent. I don't feel like I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm just creating beautiful things. But on the other hand, I think maybe I am making people realise how beautiful where they live is. I'm sparking memories. I I don't know. It's I think it's very important. I think to invoke some kind of 
happy and emotional response in people is very important. That's what art and music is. I think mm. it's one of the most important things. I feel guilty because I think I love my job a little bit. It doesn't have any difficult aspects and my sisters have such sensible jobs. <laughs> oh, I'm so pleased to hear you say that. <laughs> what about um, community art? Have you ever been involved in um, community art at all? I suppose as far as community projects go, I did something back in 2016 called... It was the Lost Houses Project. Uh-huh. Um, and it was painting Calderdale's Lost Houses. And as part of that, the, the people that that drew in, I found really interesting because it wasn't people who were interested in art. It was the people that were really pleased to find that their history had, um, had value and that people were recognising it. So, um, well, could, perhaps you could explain what the Lost House Houses well, project was. Well, West Yorkshire, Calderdale in particular, um, has a lot of had a lot of wealth, didn't it? Between well, kind of industrial, mm -hmm. the Industrial Revolution made a lot of people very wealthy for quite a short period of time. Um, so, big tax, textile magnates might build themselves mansions or castles. Yes. Um, and then either the fortunes would fade and the houses would go with them, or they got so rich and so important, they wished to distance themselves from the area in which they made their money. Ah. Um, so Calderdale seemed to have um, quite a few of these amazing ruins that people didn't really know about. So they're not architecturally valuable. Mm-hmm but they are really interesting. The plan was for this exhibition was to paint the grand houses as they were, so full of light and life, and really bring them back to life. And people either hadn't known about them at all, or they might have seen a very old black and white photograph, and I was painting them in full colour, in places that they knew, and then telling them a little about, about the history, or the people, or the stories. And the people that came to the exhibition often had memories of the houses mm -hmm. or they might have had a mother or a grandmother who was a maid in one of the ground houses or or a parent who worked in one of the mills so they were part of the kind of the fortune you know that the people that helped the grand mill owner make the fortune in the first place so that was a community project in a way um because it brought in people who weren't mm. interested in art, but who were very interested in their history. And they had stories to tell. They wanted to tell their stories, and that was lovely. Oh, very nice. Is there anything else you would like people to know about your life as an artist? I don't know. The one thing I would say about, about me and my art is that I, I'm, not, I, I'm not from Yorkshire. I'm from Suffolk in East Anglia. And it's taken me a long time to learn to love the um, quite bleak moors around here. Mm -hmm. But um, just kind of going out and being amongst nature and learning the bird calls and learning the trees and learning the names of the moors, that's become incredibly important to me. As, you know, this is not my environment. This is, Suffolk is, is flat and um, agricultural and kind of very safe. And up here, it's wild and beautiful, but it's taken me a long time to discover the beauty of where I live. So I want people to know the landscape, and mm. I would hope that 
maybe my paintings would inspire them to go and find the places that I paint when ordinarily they wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. But we do live in a very beautiful bit of the world. We certainly do. What have been your influences um, on your art? Well, there was Grandad, as I've mentioned, and then there was also my dad, love my dad, and from when I was very little, he would read me stories, but we would also go through picture books, and um, picture books of, you know, great masters, uh-huh. um, and I would, so I would have certain favourite paintings and get taken around art galleries when I was little, and then when I was older, we would go around together, you know, me as a teenager, and just look at the way people had painted things and composed paintings. So dad's actually quite important to all of Mm. this. And then in terms of artists, the decorative elements come from people like Gustav Klimt. Um, Favourite painter for a long time is uh, Eric Revilius, who painted... uh, He died in the Second World War. He was a war painter, but before that he just painted very quiet landscapes often down um sussex and and essex way but just kind of beautiful gentle very english rolling landscapes there's a certain peacefulness about them that i don't think many artists manage to convey Ah, i don't know that artist i'll look them up you'll have to look them up he's beautiful a very you know very short life but very prolific i will Okay, well, thank you very much, Kate. Um, It's been lovely, and thank you for inviting me to see your printmaking studio, because I I I understand, just before we finish, that as well as this place where you make your prints, you have another studio where you do your painting. I have a studio at home. Um, It's Yes, we knocked down an old outbuilding outside the house, and um, now I have a studio attached to the house, which is um, nice, because I've got young children, so they can potter in and out and come and paint in the studio which they were doing last night after school so um it's yeah it's nice as a family we do a lot of we do a lot of making things a lot of painting things and so it's nice that that can happen at home lovely thanks very much Language support. This is the part of the podcast where I choose some of the words and phrases from the episode and talk about them. Today, I'm going to focus on two phrases that have a very similar meaning and two words that were related to that in this episode. First of all, Kate said, I'm a rose-tinted spectacles kind of girl. And then she went on to say, my glass is definitely half full. So let's take the first one of those. To to have rose-tinted spectacles means to be optimistic, to see the good things, to see the positive things about any situation. Literally, rose-tinted spectacles are spectacles or glasses that people wear for their eyes. And if they are rose-tinted, that means that they are a pink colour and they make everything look rather bright and pink. 
And so the idea is, if you're looking through glasses like that, you tend to see the better things about what you're looking at. And the meaning is very similar with her second phrase. We say in English that you can either be somebody who says, my glass is half full, or you can say, my glass is half empty, when you're talking about a glass of liquid of some kind. If you say it's half full, you're looking at it optimistically, positively. If you say it is half empty, then you are tending to look on the more negative side of things. Now, Kate was saying that she's a positive kind of person and that her art reflects that. And she contrasted that. She said, I'm not angsty. And later on, she said, I'm not edgy. So what do these two words mean? Well, angsty means to express anxiety or to display feelings of concern. It's often said that teenagers can be angsty uh, and they're not quite sure how they fit in to, the, to life around them. And so artists who are angsty might be ones who in their work try to display those kind of feelings. And similarly, if an artist is said to be edgy, then they're often a bit unconventional, a bit different, and they're kind of raising issues in the work that they do. And Kate is saying that's not the kind of artist that she is. So I hope that's helpful. Uh, that's it for this episode. Uh, you can find out more about our work as a charity and how to support us in different ways. And you can find out all about the other episodes in this podcast. And you will, in a few days, be able to get the transcript for this and all the other episodes. And you can do that on our website, which is www.staugustinecentrehalifax.org.uk. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Until then, take care of yourselves and keep practising your English. Goodbye for now.